You're listening to Art Affairs, episode 66. Today I'll be talking to Brian M. Viveros. So my name is Michael Faith, and this is Art Affairs. Art Affairs is my attempt at shining a spotlight on the many wonderful people that make up this amazing art community, featuring conversations with artists, gallerists, curators, telling their stories. You can take through previous episodes, complete with show notes, at artaffairspodcast.com. But the best way to stay plugged in is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're really enjoying the show and want to help support what I'm doing here in an even bigger way, check out the Art Affairs Patreon. Not only does it give you an opportunity to help keep the show going, but there are several community-oriented benefits as well, like getting early access to episodes and suggesting questions for upcoming guests. You can find all the information about that at patreon.com slash artaffairs. You can also connect with the show on Instagram at artaffairspodcast. All right, so today's guest is artist Brian Viveros. Brian has been creating a veritable army of warriors, powerful women populating this world of dirty land. But it didn't all start there. We talk about how he first made his way into the world of fine art and an inspirational visit to H.R. Giger's home. We also talk about some of the common elements in his work, like cigarettes and helmets, his upcoming show at ThinkSpace, and a whole lot more. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Brian Viveros. Brian, welcome to the show, man. It's really good to have you on. Thank you. Hey, Michael. It's uh, nice to be on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's let's dive into your background a little bit. And um, you know, I know that you were born in Corona, California, which mm-hmm. you know, I've I'm not very familiar with the um, geography of LA, but I believe that's east of LA. Um, so what was that area like when you were growing up? That that part of Southern California. Um, it was uh, it was pretty. Pretty mellow. I mean, I, I, I grew up uh, just playing, you know, like a kid with all the other kids uh, playing guns and watching wrestling. And, uh, you know, it was it was it was a good time. You know, Corona was it was a good spot. I, I liked it. It was cool. All the schools uh, that I grew up uh, going to were just within walking distance. So everything was close by. It's a very small world. Corona is very small. <laughs> was it kind of like a suburb of L.A.? Yeah, and it's you know known for its oranges. Like the sun, the big thing was the sun-kissed oranges. You know, the orange soda. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like that's where like the manufacturing for that was done. Yeah, was yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. And it was it was it actually was like a um, wow. I'm just like thinking back, but it was like a racetrack. The this it was a circle, the Corona Circle, it was like a grand circle, oh, wow. and they used to have old like uh, races there. Back in the day. Hey, you went to go see those a lot? No, no. This is like before my time. This is like, you know, the 30s. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what kind of work did your parents do? Anything related to the arts? Um, my dad was, uh, he worked as a surgical tech uh, for Corona Community Hospital. And uh, he was also a bodybuilder. He was heavily into like weightlifting and like um, fitness. So 
he drew a lot of anatomy. So like he, we were always drawing. Um, he was big into like drawing warriors and you know women, female warriors, barbarians, blood, swords, fantasy. You know, and definitely Frazetta was probably like one of the biggest uh, influences uh, growing up as a kid because he collected all of these Conan magazines. So we would go through those together, and uh, he would read me like Conan stories, and we would uh, we would battle each other drawing these uh, characters called pit fighters. So you you would have to develop a character and um, see who could come up. It, it was it was like testing at creativity, like who could come up with the most weapons and and their power. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like old D and D shit, man. I mean, like you you had like we would write their powers and. Uh, you know, a list of, of their weaknesses. And it, it was cool, though. It was it was a creative time. You know, he was always, he would always say, don't be bored. You know, let's let's do something, do something creative, make something, draw. It's really cool that, that your parents were so, like, encouraging of, of you in that way. Do you, do you feel that that, like, level of engagement and that encouragement spurred you on and, and made you take, you know, your artistic side more seriously? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I can even remember... As a kid, my mom would like, if I didn't want to go to school, she'd just say, stay home. You know? <laughs> like, she didn't like, she would stay home and, and let's draw and make things. And we, I can remember staying home, like drawing on the walls. Like she would let me draw on my walls in the bedroom. And uh, we would like cut out, back then they had these big book, thick books of like craft paper. And we would just m- make things. She had all these little like uh, how-to and we would make you know animals or cut paper out and stuff and listen to music and and uh it was it was cool i hated school i really did i hated it yeah so she was cool i mean there were guys at the point she was writing so many my son is sick you know <laughs> letters <laughs> it, it got it, it was ridiculous you know i was like i just don't want to be there man i, I don't know i always i did start start school rather early i started kindergarten when i was four when other kids were five and six so they had you know they were a little bit more like you know advanced or whatever but um yeah yeah i think it did kind of uh, pave a way for me to just kind of be free and i used to put on little backyard shows like uh, oh, nice. yeah my mom would invite the neighbors and there would be blood involved like i mean uh, like <laughs> i would use food coloring and uh like spray the kids with blood i, I mean it was a it was so funny i mean i <laughs> i haven't thought about this in a long time man but yeah yeah you know we would make little flyers my mom would make flyers and you know she like okay we're gonna kind of decorate the flyer and i think you know everything kind of comes back to the create the creative level, you know, and, yeah. and, and kind of the buildup. And I think that's always been in me, you know, it's like uh, some stuck brainwashed in that sense, but it, but in a good way, you know, yeah. that's yeah. amazing. You were putting on a little show, you know, like shows in your backyard and stuff. Did, um, oh, you know, hilarious did... brother. <laughs> hilarious. Like, you know, like we, we had kind of done a run through, like I had kind of directed what was going to happen. And then, and then, um, you know, when the swords came out or whatever, the, the fake plastic Conan sword, there was blood everywhere and stuff. And then, uh, that later progressed into like backyard wrestling matches. Wow. <laughs> so then we'd have neighbors come over and then, you know, we'd, we'd put on wrestling matches. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read that you're, you, know, you mentioned your father being a bodybuilder. I, I, I read that he also owned a gym at one point. So is that something that 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 kind of wrestling or fighting culture is it something you had around you a lot also? Yeah, yeah. The wrestling was always important. The boxing, like the big fights back in the day, of course, there was no like all these uh, streaming app and everything. I mean, you had either 
on or select TV to get like a, a big fight. But that was always important, like, you know, getting everybody together to watch the fights or uh, the WrestleManias and, and, and all that kind of stuff was really big in our our, our house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I read that you were also uh, really into comics growing up. Um, mm-hmm. Were there any that that was some of your favorites? Like were you in more of the superhero books or more of like the, the drama books? What was your style? Yeah, comics. Um, yeah, I got heavily into comic books. Um well, well, Conan was always really big uh, for me, the Conan the Barbarian comics, because of my dad. But also, when the 90s broke and Image Comics kind of broke through, that was like the game changer, I think, for a lot yeah. of people in my generation. Um, you know, the Todd McFarlane's, the Rob Liefeld, and that kind of stuff. That was really, really huge. So I was I was big into Spawn and... Uh, you know, all the uh, the X-Force and all that stuff. But growing up, you know, I, I always liked X-Men and uh, Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man. So, yeah, all the classics, man. I, I just kept buying them, you know. And then you go through that number one phase where you got to buy every number right. one possible. <laughs> and it's like, oh, then you end up selling all the comic books. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a cycle for sure. I've been it is. It. it is. I still have my good ones, though, you know, so... And, and didn't you make, I read that you also made your own like underground comics in high school, like even at that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that young of an age. How did that start? How did you get into making your own comics? Well, this is going way back. Um, I, I was heavily into gore uh, and, and, and horror movies and blood and guts and all that stuff. And I think if I didn't choose this path, I was pretty much, I, I was headed to the path of like special effects and makeup and stuff. I was really into that. And um, I used to just draw like really violent <laughs> splatter comics, you know, like super hardcore underground stuff, you know, and I would, you know, staple them together, pass them out, give them out and stuff like that. And there wasn't too many people into that stuff, though, for me. I mean, like my, uh, my crowd was, it was kind of mixed. There wasn't a lot of people into the, the real like hardcore horror stuff underground stuff like i was into but and so, and so you were like you were reproducing them publishing them yourself like yeah. you're creating the whole thing how did you how did you was that like kinkos were you like doing copies or how did you do I it did that at first yeah of course the, the kinkos <laughs> yeah and then later went on to like go through uh the actual like comic distribution and things like that but i was always in the adult version so my numbers were never really high <laughs> it was a you know it was it was a it was an experience you know i i give so much credit to to comic book artists to me they're like the greatest artists that that are around because it's it's uh, the ability to do that is it's insane uh it's insane to to map out panels and and everything like that it's it's insane but um have total respect for that that whole world (laughs) for sure and you mentioned that your your relationship with school is a little bit rocky um you weren't a fan um so you know i know that you didn't end up going to art school is that is that the reason why you just didn't think that school was really your cup of tea and you just wanted to jump right into working yeah, I mean, I attended a community college for about a month, maybe or so. I mean, I had taken art class, an art class. I just, I wasn't feeling it. I don't know. I think I've always been driven to to, to do other things. Um, I'm kind of hard to keep down. I, I mean, I, in that sense, I just want to um, explore things, you know. So I just felt I was gonna try to make it in in the arts my own way. You know, so tried comics and that wasn't really for me. I wasn't that great at it. And uh, 
then I got into the fine art thing, and that's kind of what you know changed everything for me. So that around that, um, I think around ninety six, ninety seven, that kind of happened. And so before then, um, I mean, what were you doing to pay the bills? Was it underground comics exclusively, or did you have other kind of commercial illustration type type work? No, um, I worked a job job. I worked for Costco. <laughs> you know, I did that. I I um I did that for a while, but then. I got a job with, uh, this is funny, I, I, I worked for Burt Ward, Robin, the, from mm. Batman and oh, Robin, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. the original series. Right. And he had like, I had gotten like a, like a freelance job with him. He lived in Norco, which was just outside of Corona. And I, that was kind of my first like artsy job, like doing uh, concept design for a movie he wanted wow. to do. Yeah, it was a mon- it was a dinosaur movie. Wow. How did you yeah, connect man. with him? I mean, how did you make that connection originally? Oh my god, let me let me think back. Okay, this is a long <laughs> time ago. Everybody out there, I'm I'm getting up there. Um I, it might have been an ad through the penny saver. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like <laughs> artists needed or something like, you know, there was always th- those type of things in the penny saver you would Everybody out there, this is what you would do. You know, you put an ad out there, something you're selling, or you know, it was a, uh, you know, it was like, uh, um, like classified. Yeah, the classified. There you go. Yeah, man. And 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 did that did that turn into anything? I mean, other no, than just no, a paycheck. No, no. <laughs> other than just paid, and um, he also and getting mauled by Great Danes. <laughs> I yeah yeah because he within his home he um. He ran a a, um, a Great Dane Foundation. Really? <laughs> yeah. So they a rescue for Great Danes. So every time I remember when I would go there, going through the gates, <laughs> the Great Danes would just jump all over me, and they're huge. Like I think he had the second largest one in the world. I mean, the thing was was like uh, it's a horse. It's like the it's like a tauntaun. I mean, it was like <laughs> it was massive, man. But yeah, and then you go into this his studio, and he had all these computers and big screen TVs, <laughs> and he was doing like movie stuff, and I would just design these like monster dinosaurs. It's hilarious, man! <laughs> hilarious. That's amazing. And so then you you said around '96 was when you started to feel more, you know, started to migrate a little bit more into the um, the fine art side of things. And I know that you had a pretty important. A group exhibition in 1997 in Switzerland that um, included you, along with H.R. Giger, among others. How did that opportunity come to you, and how did you start making some of those like relationships in the art world? Yeah, so this is how it happened for me. There was a, um, there was like a, a magazine. It was a zine. Uh, it's called uh, I think Cenobium. Syn- <laughs> it was a. It's like a spin-off of Clive Barker, Clive Barker's Cenobites uh, from Hellraiser. Mm. So they made like a zine. Uh, somebody made a zine, and um, it had Les Barony, who was Giger's agent, in it, a listing, and his number, his phone number. Oh, wow, <laughs> it was on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I can remember calling him, and and you know saying, hey, you know, I want to like show you my stuff, you know, type of deal, and. Uh, I remember faxing him uh, fax machines. <laughs> there, there you go. I remember faxing him um, 
drawings, you know, because I didn't even paint then. I didn't know how to paint. I didn't paint till till later. So everything was just black and white and like airbrush and washes. And, you know, it was just a combination of things that I mixed that I thought looked okay, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing. But, um, yeah, I faxed him some stuff and then we started talking back and forth. We would talk real late at night at like one in the morning, two in the morning, you know, crazy. And um, then he showed the, some stuff to Giger and then Giger was curating the show and he, he wanted me to be in it. So I was like, wow, this is cool. And I had no idea how that even worked out, um, you know, how you even do anything. So Les kind of showed me the ropes, uh, Giger's agent, and, and, you know, sort of took me under his wing to help me kind of just, you know, what I needed to do and, you know, how to, you know, measure your artwork properly, get it framed properly, photograph it, you know, the whole process, you know, because it, it's new and for me, that was so long ago. It just, you know, I didn't know what, what I was doing. Well, it's amazing that somebody, I mean, literally on the other side of the world was helping you kind of coach you effectively and get you your, your feet in the door, so to speak, in the art world. I mean, that's just interesting that you were already kind of connecting with people on the other side of. Um, yeah, it, it took a while. Actually, prior to that, what I was doing is I would make these packages. Like my whole thing was packages. <laughs> and they were these like elaborate packages like portfolios and I'd put goodies in there and like they were very personal you know and I was trying to get published like I would send them out to all these gore magazines I didn't know what I was doing erotic magazines porn magazines um nothing but uh I got some letters back I think I still have them leg show they didn't care for my work basically and so I was kind of like wow this is tough you know but I kept making these packages and Oddly enough, I think I sent one to LC from Cannibal Flower. He's a friend of mine. He said he still has it. And if he does, (laughs) I want to fucking see it. And I want it. I want to buy it back. (laughs) Yeah. But anyways, one person did respond to my package and it was Clive Barker. And at the time, and I was like, wow. And he sent me a personal letter, you know, via mail in the mailbox. And uh, he sent me a letter saying, oh, you know, keep doing what you're doing like this is great and it was cool because uh when you hear something like that you know back in you know 96 95 ish you know prior to doing something with Giger I was like wow this is cool and then uh he he actually had written me three letters I still have them and um it was cool it was always like inspiring stuff because I was I was doing more erotic stuff then, like very twisted Giger meets erotica, you know, because I was very inspired by Giger and, you know, wanted to be like Giger, you know, so you want to try to, you know, make your stuff look like that in a way, but not, not exactly like that. But I was still painting girls. It was still, and they were still smoking, you know, wasn't really getting much response. And then the Clive Barker thing was cool. And then when Les took notice and then I got into that show with Giger you know I was like okay cool I'm just gonna keep doing this you know I'm gonna keep trying keep trying to do that so in that show in 97 was that your first time showing in like a gallery setting first time yeah ever like even Mm -hmm. just being a part of something you know and um, there were so many like um, great artists in that show Witkins who does all these like crazy installations with like uh, body parts and uh and you know eric stanton who was like did a lot of black and white work 
that I just loved as a kid, comic book stuff. But yeah, that was the first real setting of a show. And um, then later, like around 90, 99, I, I did a show in the U.S. Like I, I did a show in the U.S. My first real show in the U.S. was at Mary Kurnowski's gallery oh, nice. in 99. Yeah. And so between that, that, that first group show in 97 mm-hmm. and then your first solo show in 2005, you know, you said back in the 97 show, you weren't doing painting yet. You were still, you know, doing black and white. Yeah. So at what point between that 97 show and the 2005 show did you teach yourself to paint and start picking up the other side of your practice? Yeah, that came, that came after the Mary Kurnowski show because I had a black and white piece in there and that show was curated by Copperell Gallery. So Copperell curated it, and it had Mark Ryden in it. I mean, it had Coop. At that time, like, it, had, it was an awesome thing to be a part of. I couldn't even believe it. I was so stoked. It was a, it was a great, great time. And um, I just said, I got to learn how to paint. <laughs> you know, so, so then I, uh, you know, I, I bought some oils and, uh, you know, there wasn't any online. There was no YouTube. No, you know, you just kind of had to figure it out, man. So I just figured it out and, uh, you know, did the best I could. I was using, I think, like gouache and stuff. And then um, 2003, I think, was kind of a big, big game changer. That was the Haunted Dollhouse show at Copro. And that was a big, a big show that had like, I think, Chet Zar in it. Like everyone first show camille rose garcia right in um all the names you know like it was a it was a big show and that uh, that was the first time that i i kind of showed some of the the paintings that i did in 2003 yeah the haunted dollhouse show i think maybe a lot of artists remember that one because it had everybody in it at, at the time that's awesome. And then a couple of years later, you had you went back to Switzerland and had your first solo show. Was it that connection with Les that, that you mentioned earlier that lined you up with that show? Was it at the same gallery that you showed back in 97? Um, no, the 97 was at the museum in Switzerland. Uh, it was called the Museum of Pornographic Arts in Switzerland. And then in 2005, I, uh, yeah, I had my first solo in Switzerland through Les. Yeah, that was with Les. Yeah, he actually said, that, you know, you want to do a solo show? And I was like, yeah, that would be awesome. And then I think that was still pre like Dirty Land stuff. I was still exploring. It was still kind of like erotic. The figures were more cartoon still. Like they were, if you look at a lot of my like older stuff, like they were more lanky, like, um, you know, more surreal, surreal like, you know. And, um, but they were paintings. And so that was kind of the first set that was like fully painted, you know, like fully painted series. And, um, but that's still, that's still predated some of the, the dirty land concepts that you're doing now. It's there. Yeah. It's in there. It's in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can still kind of see it. Um, I think that the dirty land kind of hit harder when I returned back to Switzerland in 2006, I think yeah i had another show and then i did three shows in switzerland and then that that kind of i started to really feel things were right i started doing what i wanted to do which was just like you know smoking girls <laughs> <laughs> right. 
and I was going to put everything that I, you know, was into on them. You know, I was, but they weren't going to be like, um, like pinup girl style. You know, I was going more for an anti pinup. <laughs> you know, I was going for, uh, you know, girls that are women, women, strong women. I wanted them to have been through a fight. I wanted them to have been through a boxing match. You know, I wanted them to have had this kind of raw, dirty grit to them. So for me, it was important there was blood involved that I always had like blood splatters and stuff because I, I, I guess it was, I grew up with all that, you know, it's like blood was always something that was, you know, just part of uh, the sport, you know? I mean, you were slinging blood around all over everybody. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Kids, you name it. I, even my toys. Uh, uh, yeah. I used to put blood all over the toys. Um, my wrestling figures. Uh, yeah, it was hilarious, man. They were all stained. The heads were stained. You couldn't even get the, the blood out of the figure. I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah, my mom would always see my hands covered, you know, red, and, and she would just laugh, you know. But uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, another really cool thing that came out of that 2005 show, which, which I've, I know I've seen you post photos from before, was actually visiting Giger's home in Switzerland, yeah. um, which sounds pretty incredible. I mean, was it that that original kind of connection you'd made with Les that made that happen? Um, yeah, I think, well, Les was like, um, Giger doesn't go outside. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. But um, he wants, you know, he wants to meet you. And I'm like, oh my God, I was just so nervous. I was like, oh, wow, that would be amazing. But I didn't really think that was going to happen. I just kind of said, okay, well, something like that happens. Great. Meeting like the greatest artist that ever lived in my mind. And I remember seeing his books as a kid and my dad would show them to me and I would be like, what is this shit? This is the, this is the most amazing stuff I've ever seen. Right? So when I had the solo show, two of his friends had attended and then they had come, you know, they had uh, presented themselves to me and my wife and they were like, Hey, um, do you want to meet Giger? He wants you to come over tomorrow. Can you come spend the day? And I was like, yeah, sure, man. But it was a yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to talk. I mean, this <laughs> right. is gonna be this is gonna be a hard one, man. So as that day, you know, was building up, uh, well, first off, the show was awesome. It was cool, it was a great place. And then um, yeah, then that day came to to go meet Giger and you know, we were heading out there and I remember the car was breaking down. I'm like, oh, this ain't going to happen. This is, this is set up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to meet. I'm going to be killed out here or something, <laughs> you know, this is, this is weird. And, you know, me and my wife were just kind of going along you know, for the ride and everything. And, um, you know, then we get to his place and it's like uh, this, this old, like a duplex that's in the suburbs and he connected his parents' home or something together and then, you know, we're there and I'm like, wow, I mean, I've seen a picture in a magazine. This is, this is his house, you know. And then um, he came to the door and I was like, wow, we brought him goods like uh, alcohol and energy drinks. And he likes energy drinks and some like I brought him some meats and stuff to eat. And um, it was pretty awesome, man. I must say, I'm really glad though that my wife was there with me because I was pretty starstruck in a way. I, I don't usually I'm OK with situations, but. I really was just didn't know what to say, you know. So being in his house was like being in the the alien ship. The floor is all biomechanical wow. paved. Uh, yeah, you've got the you know the the Harkonian chairs and the the, the Giger table. I mean everything. I mean there were Joe Coleman originals laying on the floor. 
I mean, it was crazy. His Academy Award was just drenched in cobwebs, you know, like for it looks so I took a picture of it. It looks so awesome. It's just like, wow, there's his Academy Award for Alien. And once we started, you know, just to let loose a little bit and it was cool and talking about art and Alien. And then we even traded prints, which I thought was super cool. And he personalized them to me, which I was like, wow, how cool. He's like, he's actually like writing to Brian and Jenny, you know, it was just really cool. It was just really cool stuff like that. And getting to see the ghost train that he has that runs around his backyard into his studio. Um, yeah, it was mind blowing. Like for me, I was just like, wow, this ain't, this is it. You know, I can die now. <laughs> <laughs> Did he share any like interesting stories or bits of wisdom that you still kind of hold with you to this day? Yeah, he did. He um, he really liked what I was doing with these women uh, at the time. Like he goes, "You're building like this kind of army." You know, he was saying you're building an army, and that he goes, "Keep keep doing that. Like focus on that. Like that's an awesome." And he and he liked that they were just kind of mad all the like they looked mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he was excited uh, uh, to to just kind of share that and and. Um, yeah, that was the advice he gave me, you know, and then he was pointing out a few things and, and some of the prints that I gave him that he really liked. And then, um, you know, I just kind of kept running with it. You know, you hear something like that from someone and you feel kind of revamped, you know? Yeah, that's empowering. Yeah. And, and so after those those three shows in Switzerland, um, you know, things obviously started snowballing quite a bit. Um, you had your first show at ThinkSpace, who's obviously become a, a, a key you know relationship with you over the years in 2010. Oh, yeah. Uh, the show The Dirty Land. Um, yeah. I guess how did you first you, you mentioned, uh, you know, sending a package to LC, but how did you first connect with Andrew and, and the rest of the folks at ThinkSpace? Um, Andrew had actually been familiar with my work. He, he had seen some of, I had a show in 2004 at Art at Large and he had already known about it. I ran into him at a Cannibal Flower show and Elsie uh, was DJ. It was cool. And then, um, I was tripping out because this is funny. One of my pieces got stolen from, oh, wow. uh, from Switzerland. They, someone walked in and took it off the wall and stole it. And I guess, I don't Andrew knew about it. <laughs> when I was, this was back in L.A., yeah. And he goes, yeah, I heard about the painting that got stolen. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, dude, how do you know that shit, man? But, uh, um, but it was kind of cool. I mean, this is just real quick. Um, they made wanted posters for my <laughs> that piece, and they put them up in Zurich. Wow. And I thought it was so cool. They were offering like a reward for whoever stole the, the painting. And I, I, I still have that poster um, that they put up in Switzerland. But it was um, it was funny. It was, I mean, I kind of liked that idea. I wasn't even really at that point for some reason. I'm, I wasn't really that upset about the painting being stolen. I just I liked the idea that there were these wanted posters <laughs> yeah. for it around that I could see outside. They put up like outside of my hotel. It was funny, That's man. Amazing. It was great. Did they ever recover that painting? No, it's gone. Mm. It's still gone. It's still gone. Yeah. It was called Heroin Chic. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So if you're out there and you have a Heroin Chic, uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah, keep it. <laughs> I don't want it. Give me the poster. Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, then um, with Andrew, I um, I did a, it was a magazine competition cover called for ISM. And the winner was going to be in ThinkSpace. Like you would get to put a piece in there or something like that. And I think that was like around 2007. Yeah, 2007, the ISM thing. 
And then um, in 2008, uh, Audrey Kawasaki curated a show for ThinkSpace called The Drawing Room. And she put me in there with, I think, uh, Stella and uh, I can't remember. There's quite a few artists. It's a, it was a good good show. And that that show, I had one of my first like bullfighter pieces. It was it was a bullfighter a drawing and a dirty land drawing. And um, that was kind of like my first introduction to things. I would say that show, the drawing room show and the whole ism competition thing. So like around 2007, that happened. And so that, that 2010 show called The Dirty Land, was that when you yeah. first really gave a name to this the series that you've been working on since then? Or is that was that what coined the term Dirty Land? Um, it was prior. It, it, mm. was, it, was, it was a few years prior. But I think that's where it, it really solidified it. You know, for me, like it, it put a stamp on it, you know, and people were coming to the show with their helmets on and um, red roses and, you know, things like that. It, it, it kind of... You know, people kind of made it their own, which was super cool. And um, yeah, it just became my world. You know, it was going to be this this kind of dirty world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so you know, I, I wanted to um, to ask you about a, a story that Andrew said, you know, told me about on on one of the episodes that I had with him. Um, I, I think it may have been the first or second time that I had him on that he told me about. Um, it was like the day or two before a show that he was about to open for you. And I think it may have, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there was the, this 2010 Dirty Land show, if it was one of the later ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but he told me that y'all had planned to have a bunch of dirt like all along <laughs> the floor of the gallery and that he'd had this big delivery made and left you know, the, the gallery for the night and was going to do the rest of the next day and then started getting all these calls from like his landlord about like odor complaints. <laughs> and, and he came to the oh realization that you know, regular dirt for Poor like Andrew. landscaping is mixed with manure. So, <laughs> yeah. so it started to become like obviously a big problem and he had to scramble last minute to, to like run all over town to take care of it. So I'm kind of curious, like, what was your side of that story? Like, what do you remember about that? I mean, honestly, he told me about that. And I, I mean, I give Andrew the most credit, man. He's a, that guy's a hard worker, man. And that, that I love him, man. I love him. That's, um, I love him for that. That's great, man. Uh, and he made that happen, you know? <laughs> I, all I remember is showing up and there was dirt back then. I mean, the show was on. <laughs> I didn't know what he had gone through prior to that, that there was all this, uh, you know, going on upstairs and I, like, you know, the, 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 you know, from the manure, it was causing, you know, eyes to burn and, you know, <laughs> fall out and bleed. I don't know. But I mean, I, I, I just like, wow, man. And I just kind of pictured Andrew shoveling dirt and I was like, oh, you should have called me. I would have helped you. Wow. So he, he did all, all of that happen and you didn't even have any idea until later. No, I think because it, it was all kind of come down to the last because that that was the day before, right? That that had happened with the the you know the scent and everything. So yeah, I would just think that next day he probably had to go find dirt, and he did. And then you know that night was the show. So wow. that's awesome, man. That's cool. <laughs> That's a that's hard work, right? For there. sure, man. Yeah, so. Um, so let's talk more about the work itself. And you talked, you know, a little bit about you know what you're aiming for as far as these, you know, really strong, strong female and in, in like you know powerful feminine figures that that you're focused on, fighters and warriors and people that are really like the heroes of their respective stories. Um, I guess what um, 
what inspired this kind of singular focus on the feminine and in particular, like strong females? Yeah, I think, you know, my mom was pretty strong. I think it always comes back to, to her in a sense, you know, like just, just growing up, you know, she's a, she's a strong woman, you know, and um, I, I think that's where that, that spawns. I grew up liking like Vargas art too, you know, Vargas was big and a lot of the old um, like fashion designs of female figures and stuff like that. I was always into that, that, that look, you know, that's why some of my early work looks almost more like fashion erotic in a way because it's it, it had a lot of that feel to it but i think yeah that's that's kind of where it all spawned and then um just taking all these elements and making these women more like you know survivors and warriors just because you know my mom has been through a lot and i i channel that you know my wife is a very strong woman you know she keeps me grounded in ways that i'm just like because i'm out there man i'm 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 crazy. <laughs> but I mean, most artists are, right? And I just always, I was always a more of a, a believer uh, in the less is more I approach. Like I was going to do one figure. Like I wasn't, I wasn't much for backgrounds. I'm, I'm not like, I'm just not good at it. You know, that's not my thing. But um, I would always try to tell a story. I would always think, well, how can I tell a story in this character, you know, from the, the shoulders up, you know, in a portrait, you know? And I was able to do that. You know, I was able to kind of keep pushing that, keep pushing it with things that I grew up around, like, you know, the, the bullfighters and, and things like that, the, the wrestling, the boxing, the, um, the military, the, you know, all of these things that I was just, I loved, you know, things I was into. And, um, it just kind of gave these women, I'm like creating, you know, giving them powers, you know, their powers. So um, it's like I've, I kind of just created this whole, um, you know, universe with these characters, you know. And, and so, you know, as part of creating these figures, um, do they have a larger backstory? Like, does it help you in the process of creation to, to create, at least in your head, a larger story for these characters and like flesh them out? Yeah, no, the funny thing is I don't really come up with that. I just, I don't, I let the people, the, the viewer kind of make their own story. You know, I know we get a lot of like emails and people that they, they, they relate to certain pieces and they'll, they'll tell me their stories and things like that, that, you know, how my paintings have inspired them in ways, you know, to just kind of push on and, you know, be that, that warrior, that, that the strength, you know? So for me, I think, um, I just kind of do what I do, um, but I keep try to keep pushing it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, um, you know, early on, you just wanted to draw smoking women, and obviously, cigarettes have been, you know, a, a key you know, thematic or an element of your work for a long time. Um, was there any significance to that? Is there something that that represents to you? I was a big smoker. <laughs> yeah, no, I was a heavy smoker, man. I smoked so much. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, it's like, oh, I'm going to paint for 15 minutes. I'm going to have another cigarette. I'm going to paint. I'm gonna, I'm gonna... So it got really bad. But I just thought back then I just wanted it, my work to kind of, I wanted something that was going to be a piece of me put in there. So it was going to be the cigarette, you know, and a lot of people didn't like it. You know, you, you I got a lot of, you know, shit for it. And, uh, I didn't care. It just didn't matter. You know, for me, uh, you know, there was something about it that it was just being true to who I was. And, um, 
that was going to be kind of like a staple thing, you know. But I knew at some point, I, you know, it was going to, they were going to quit the Dirty Land Girl. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it was going to be, it, it was going to kind of phase out, you know. I just um, I moved on to cigars, but no, 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 but I mean, it, <laughs> but, you know, it just wasn't, it, it didn't, I felt like the work, and what I was doing didn't need it anymore. You know, it felt like the characters were just were taking over. They were they were speaking. They were they were more of the focal point. They were the ones that were, you know, telling the story. You didn't need the cigarette, you know, and it just, you know, I didn't want anything to feel forced anymore. So when that day came, I just kind of eh, if if I feel like oh, okay, that attitude definitely as asking for it, then it will it will reemerge, you know, there. And did them kind of, you know, quitting or phasing out of that align with you quitting like yourself? Of course. Yeah. 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 I, I was just getting too, too much. You know, I couldn't deal with it. But although I do miss uh, coffee and cigarette. I mean, that was, uh, that, I, you can, I, mean, I don't care who says that. Oh, you know, I, you cannot, uh, th- that combo is like, you know. I remember re- I was reading an article and you were like, the, the only thing better than a cigarette in the morning is cigarette and coffee. And I wish I had three hands so that I could have a cigarette, a coffee and paint at the same time. I- <laughs> it's a good combo, man. I'll tell you. Yeah, it's good. Um, and so another, obviously, um, something that's impossible to recognize is um, as a constant in your work for a long time is helmets, the presence of helmets or headgear of some kind. Um, I guess, what do those symbolize to you? And is that, um, you know, the different kinds of helmets that you use, do they represent different things in your work? I think like the whole concept for me, the helmet has been just about like protection, protect, protect yourself. So it's, it's, it's a visual way of me like, saying you're protected you know i have this helmet on i'm covered you know i'm gonna go through that wall with this helmet on i'm gonna go through i'm gonna go through anything with this helmet on you know i I don't know for me it just kind of feels like this security Hmm. um safety type of deal and there's just so many different helmets out there (laughs) now i mean i've just gotten so obsessed with collecting they've they've they they have a, their own uh, room. <laughs> yeah, because you have your own collection, right? Of of actual. Homes. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. I have about I think like a hundred now, over a hundred. Wow. What's your, do you have a favorite? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, right now I recently. This is uh, we're gonna get super nerdy, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, I have scored the, a replica helmet of uh, the, from Conan the Barbarian film. Mm, so nice. I'm using that helmet for this mania set. Um, and I love that helmet because that movie is definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. So the original Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. I mean, you grew up with it, you said. Yeah, I grew up with yeah, so that. So that's a, but I do have a lot of uh, like old World War II vintage helmets. Um, I have, uh, you know, aviator helmets. Uh, I have, astronaut helmets all legit you know it's just uh, it's just a collection of helmets man i can't stop it's i guess since i can't smoke i just buy helmets <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that man yeah, yeah. and and so uh, another thing that i i read um you know when when reading up on you was that um one of the things that you feel is like a defining characteristic of of the work that you do are the eyes and then that you have given them a lot of importance and that they really represent you know, strength to you, I guess, 
what is, um, I guess, why do eyes have such uh, an importance to you and, and have such a presence in your work? Uh, they're, they're, they tell all, man, you know, like the eyes is the most important thing for me in the painting. I always say if I can get the eyes right, like that look, the rest is just, it's going to happen, you know? So it's, it's, it's very important that the eyes give a certain look, you know, especially for me. I don't know. I, I, they have this kind of drawn out deep look that I've stuck with. That even goes back to the first erotic stuff. That's something that's never really changed, you know, where, where those eyes. And then, um, you know, later I just started like they started to get heavier and heavier with the the mascara running and certain looks to them. But they've always kind of been this like like low, like low and seductive look, you know, um, is is that usually where you start on a piece? Is the eyes? Uh, yeah, typically it's it's always the eyes and the face. You know, that's I always say if you can nail the face, the rest is just gonna be you know it's gonna flow out right. You know, so it's it takes the most time for me to to get that the way I want it. Right on, right on. And so when when you're you know working on um, or getting ready for a, a new piece or a new body of work, like how do you usually arrive at your ideas for for new pieces? Do you have like a daily sketchbook routine or do any kind of brainstorming activities? I used to. I used to. I'm I'm older now. Things have kind of changed a little bit. I mean, I I you, now it's like I uh, if there's a certain helmet I see at the flea market that sets off in my mind like mm. what I'm gonna do. So it's almost like I buy the helmet and then I'll you know pose my wife in the helmet or a model, <laughs> and then I'll just sketch it out from there and take some pictures of the helmet and 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 just kind of light the helmet a certain way. But um. Yeah, then it's then it's on, but um, that's usually the process, you know. I it, it comes from the finds now, like like the the helmets that I buy. So you do use um, some kind of reference? Do you take? Do you do like photo shoots or anything? And yeah, I started to do that now because it's uh, it's very helpful, you know. Back in the day, you just kind of did everything from <laughs> from scratch, you know. Just, but yeah, it's it's awesome. I, I it, it makes it you can get really like more realistic and depth to everything. So it's, it's really helpful in that sense. And so going into like a, a photo shoot, um, do you already have an idea of what kind of poses or expressions that you want uh, to capture or, or does that sort of organically develop throughout the course of the session? Yeah. Sometimes it changes. Like I'll just have to redraw it and they kind of end up looking like, you know, my, my characters. It's just how it turns out, you know? But yeah, I mean, I try to, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to do more, more body now. Uh, <laughs> so I've, you know, I've done a lot of the portrait stuff for so long. So for this show, I've, I've explored everything with this new show. I've even done backgrounds and, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun. I think it has to be fun. You know, you've kind of, you have to keep trying new things uh, for me. You know, it's like, I can't just, uh, do the same same thing i mean the 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 ideas of the powerful women is all of the, the powerful character is always the same but it's like you know what can you do different to to make make it better you know and part of what you're exploring now is moving more into full body poses stuff like that yeah full body poses you know um hand, a lot more like hands and um just different backgrounds patterns coming in like more graphic patterns coming in stuff like that i i grew up i mean i worked in the fashion industry for nine years as a as a illustrator doing t-shirt art 
So the graphic side of things was always there. I've never really got to explore it. Like I used to do uh, the t-shirts for Target and um, like uh, Hot Topic. I don't know. I did all the shirts, like the artwork. Um, so I kind of, you know, I did a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and um, I'm able to kind of incorporate that for this set, you know. So it's, it's cool, man. It's cool. And so once you have a, a solid idea for a piece, you've done the photo shoot, gathered your references, how do you go about developing a composition? Do you do like drawings or like refined drawings or do you just kind of jump right into to painting? Yeah, no, I'll do, I'll do a few sketches unless it's, I, 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 I feel really, you know, comfortable with it. I'll just kind of just go for it. But for the most part, you know, I just, um, I will do a few sketches and then, um, once you do that, you know, blow it up really big, transfer it onto the board and start start working it, you know. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I know your primary medium of choice is is oil that serves as kind of the core of your work. But I know that you also have used airbrush as well for certain things. And, and I don't know that I've talked to anybody that 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 uses airbrush or has used it before. So I'm curious how you use that in combination with oils. Yeah, I I love it. It's um. It, it mainly builds on like highlights and tones. Like, you know, if I'm doing, uh, let's say like, you know, I'm doing a jacket and, you know, I want to get these really high pops of shine and things like that. I can come in afterwards after everything's dried and then I can hit it with an airbrush and I can build on flesh tones even deeper. You know, like you can build on certain gradients and light faster, you know, with the airbrush. So for me, it's, um, it's a really good tool. I've, I kind of started out using it. I mean, that's what I started out using. And then now I just kind of mix everything up. For me, it's a big mix of everything now. I've even gone to back to using like spray paint now for some of the backgrounds. And this is like a little, this is going way back, but straight out of high school, I opened up a graffiti store in Corona. Really? That's what I was kind of known for is wow. I, yeah, it was the first graffiti store in the inland empire um and i was on the news and shit and it was when uh tagging was really big and it was a it was a scary time like around 93 to 96 ish it was a scary time man um mm. that it, there the murals weren't like how you know how today i mean it's totally on a different level you know like they're everywhere and it's it's like uh you know it's its own it's its own art, you know, but back then if you were doing stuff like that and uh, it was a scary time, it was when like a lot of like the tag tagging and all that stuff. Did you get into any trouble back then? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, the city was trying, they shut me down. So the store didn't they shut your, your store down. They, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because of too much, there was too much, they they thought that my store was kind of the cause of a lot of the violence that was going on, of course, because of the news and everything at that time. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I mean, I had like I I was the one that I carried like Herb magazine before it was even like Herb magazine. I mean, it was a it was actually just paper, you know, newsprint, and like so Vice and Can Control and you know Mr. Cartoon, like all those guys. Yeah, like all that stuff back in the back. Yeah, that was like my first real. Uh, like journey into like the arts was with the shop uh, it was with the, the store yeah so it's cool to have um 
you know, airbrush, which is something that's dated back to before you knew how to paint, like with, with oils, as well as, as spray paint, which was obviously something, it's, it's cool to see both of those still part of your work today. Um, I, I guess, are there other mediums that you'd like to explore that you haven't had an opportunity to? Um, well, I started, I started using watercolors uh, a couple years ago, and uh, I guess people seem to kind of dig on those. So I, I'm doing a couple uh, watercolors for this show too. So I like them, man. They're they're very dirty. I mean, <laughs> like, I mean they're they're like I mean it depends how you use them, of course. But I mean, like I, I just kind of I like I like how it, they it runs, it blends, it bleeds into colors. You know, it's 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 cool. It's fun. You know. That's awesome. So I want to switch gears a little bit before we, we talk about your new show and uh, talk to you a little bit about your film work that you've done over the years. Oh, and it's yeah. obviously been a big passion of yours. Um, and I believe it all started around the time of your first solo show back in 2005 with a short, surreal psychodrama called Dislandia. Yeah. Um, so I guess how did you first get into filmmaking and, and make that a part of your you know creative output? Well, cool. Uh First, I'm glad you brought that up, Michael. <laughs> You've done your homework. <laughs> no. Of course. <laughs> but yeah, film, prior to painting to anything that I, you know, with with the arts, I mean, drawing and, and stuff like that, I've always liked the idea of making films. I mean, I think that, that goes back to my backyard you know, theater, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, putting on shows and things like that, I've, I've always kind of had this mindset to, to want to direct and, and, and bring things to life, you know? So around that time, I wasn't happy with like stuff I was watching and a buddy of mine was like, let's just make a movie then. And I was like, well, you know, it's gonna, it's not that easy, blah, blah, blah. But we ended up doing it um, very raw and and gritty with uh, just a home video camera so it was like i wanted it to have this real gritty look so we were going to do it all in just like home home video camera and um i ended up just storyboarding quick concepts of how i wanted the film to go and um we proceeded to to have a costume made and my friend scouted out the worst possible areas you could film in riverside I can't. I mean, the stories are scary. But anyway, and also filming with a, an eight-year-old out there in a mask. But anyway, um, yeah, the, the movie was done. It even played uh, at my solo show in a theater. Uh, they, they played it in an old uh, porn theater, vintage porn theater. It, the building was incredible. And uh, I think th th this is funny because I think everybody thought they were going to be watching like sexy smoking mm. girls, you know, and, and but, you know, th my films have no talking. Um, they're very abstract, surreal, like super avant-garde stuff, you know, and, um, you know, this character walks out with a with a, a mask made of, you know, like uh, chicken guts and uh, and it's just bizarre right and i think they were like what is this is this a joke you know <laughs> so it was kind of funny but some people really took interest and and i was cool as giga really liked the movie too so that 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 was something that that he did tell me that he liked the, the film so that was important to me he really liked it 
And so I, I guess what is, you mentioned doing storyboarding. Is that your, your primary way of writing? Is that your writing process is mostly building out storyboards or do you write actual scenes? Yeah, no, it's just pictures. Um, I, I have a weird process for, for filming. I mean, I'm not, um, I guess what it is, is I'm too anxious. Like I have to get it out fast. So for me, it's, if I can doodle something quick, I can doodle it fast to get to the words part of it. It, it, it just requires too much out of me to, to, to actually write it. But yeah, so I would just would plot like, uh, like little storyboard pictures. And then I would show them to the actress and I would say, okay, do, do this, do like this. And then we're just going to film you. So I like the idea of things just unfolding. Like I don't, I don't really want to tell you exactly what to do because, um, you know, you want, you want the unexpected, you want, you want those moments, you know, and that film definitely has it, you know? So for me, um, that don't, you know, for those that don't know, that's one of my favorite pieces is that, that film. So, um, I later went on to do a full length surreal film, um, Southern. And that one I think was 2009, maybe it came out. But I remember Sundance Channel coming down to film us doing a scene. We did a suspension scene with hooks, and and it was on an actress's back, and wow. it was very raw. I mean, I was, I don't know how this was even going to play out, man. I mean, it was intense, and um, they were so blown away, like the their film crew and stuff. They they ended up hanging out the whole day, getting wasted or drunk with me and and because uh, i don't really tell people what to do i'm just kind of showing them pictures you know like do the you know and and go you know i don't really want to sit here and tell you what to do you know but um they had fun we built a full set in a backyard in a field <laughs> and, and it was it was intense it was this suspension scene and yeah, man. Yeah, my 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 grandma's in it. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, you know, not the same just, person that was doing the suspension. No, <laughs> but she's in the scene. She's in the scene. She's in that scene. Yeah. So, I mean, you you mentioned Southern. That's the the full length film that you did. Do you like working on longer features, or do you prefer short films? I prefer the short. I think you know twenty twenty five minutes is good. You know, for me, it's kind of hard to push that. That's why I think. Um, you know, if you're going to do like, I've, I'd like to do like a mini series, I could, I would just kind of chop it up into, into pieces, you know, was the, the business side of filmmaking something that was difficult to kind of wrap your head around or was that, did that come pretty easily? It was, it was pretty, for me, it was pretty easy because I just allowed myself a certain budget, you know, and I had a lot of people that were going to help me, like, you know, as far as making the costumes um, finding the, the areas I could film at. And a lot of it was guerrilla style. Like, you know, we had to figure out windows of time we could shoot and, and, and break into these areas. <laughs> 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 but no, I'm kidding. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was just, uh, you know, it, it, it takes time. You, the hardest part for me, and I can only imagine if you're doing something on like a larger scale, this was these, the scale I was working at was very tight, you know, very tight, smaller crew, but you have to keep everybody in it. You know, you have to keep everyone in your, your, your world constantly. So it's, it's a, it can be draining in that sense. You know, you have, you have, you have to keep everyone because you're dealing with all, all, all these different, you know, characters and 
and things like that. So you, you want to keep everyone on the same page and it's kind of like you're, you're constantly trying to, to keep them there. Yeah, right on. And so, you know, do you feel that your, your eye for cinematography and, and the experience that you've had in, in filmmaking has impacted your 2D visual art at all? Or, you know, do you feel that there's synergy between those two creative outlets that you have? I think I think they're they're completely opposite for me. I think it's like two different things. I, I almost feel like, you know, part of me is this, you know, wants to make these movies, and they're just like it's they are complete opposite of what I paint, you know, what I do. And I just think that's the, they they work as their own because the the um the filming thing is more uh, letting things unfold type of a observation for me, you know. Whereas the painting is more thought out, and for me, I need like I need it to be um, executed a certain way, so that so there is a science to it, you know. For me, you know, um, whereas the filming is kind of like this really raw version of of what I do, and it allows me to just not give a fuck you know what i mean <laughs> right, because the right. painting has to has to give a fuck you know the, the painting has to the painting has to look 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 good you know look right you know so do you have any film projects coming up that you're excited about anything you're looking forward to right now i do um i i'll, I'll i can i can t- i can tell you this that um i i've finished a pilot uh of writing a pilot and uh um working uh, hopefully um you know after my show and everything i i'm planning to venture it more into that that realm nice yeah yeah that's awesome so it's exciting to look forward to yeah i am excited about it man it's a it's a great a great story um and this is a it's going to be a fun journey you know but i'm i'm definitely i'm going to try my hardest to get there awesome very cool i mean i guess do you have any um like timeline as far as when people can start looking for this kind of stuff no because i'm not too sure i have to kind of um with the with the story that i have you know i have to there's certain things that i have to do in order to get it to a certain place first before i can start pitching it and everything like that i just want it to be protected and everything right and then i want to have so i've got to line up certain things before i can um start that and then who knows how long it'll take but i'm gonna i'm gonna do what i can man i'm gonna try awesome yeah. that's awesome if not i'll be picking up that old home video camera and doing it <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding no this is a different type of of uh well it's a series you know so it's it's totally different than what i've done before very cool that's exciting to hear so let's talk about your new show um and then the new show is titled mania and -hmm. it opens uh at think space on october 29th which will be just a few weeks after this show is set to debut um and just for listeners we're recording this about a month before that um and so i guess what can you tell me about this new body of work what is uh what's mania all about Mania is, uh, it's like, it's a throwback for me. Mania is, is going back to the days of WrestleMania and, <laughs> and just people going crazy in general and, you know, kind of, kind of uh, a tribute show in a way to things that uh, affected me huge as a kid. So um, we took a lot of the, the those things and, um, I, you know, I, I kind of put it in my, my head what I was going to do and uh, I'm just going for it, man. I, I, I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy with the set. You know, you're going to see a lot of, of uh, you know, 
tribute type pieces to things that really changed my life, you know. So uh, it's going to be a powerful set. Even the title, um, Mania, we did this like uh, Brian M. Viveros Mania. We did it in like the classic WrestleMania letters. I know. I noticed that. Yeah. I was going to ask you if that was the, the inspiration for it. Yeah. My, my, my buddy, my homie did it. I've grown, we've known him. Shit, I've known him since I was a baby. But um, his name is Max242. You should look him up. He goes by Maxer. He is the OG guy of typography, man. The guy nice. is a master at letters. He's been doing it forever. And he's just a brilliant artist. And my homie. And he's done, and just on a side note, he's done all of my show cards, the titles. Uh, this will be my sixth solo with ThinkSpace. He's done all of the show titles of my shows. That's awesome. So shout out to Max. I guess, did you develop that theme first uh, and then kind of work within those boundaries or did you start working and then that theme sort of kind of revealed itself to you? Uh, I kind of always wanted to do like do a a mania show, you know, where I would do some of my luchador girls, you know, with the mask and, um, you know, I would just kind of pay tribute to a lot of uh, a lot of things, you know, like skateboarding, the skateboard art and uh, bands, music and things like that. So putting it to my girls in a new way. So, um, yeah, the idea has kind of been there for for a while, you know. How far along are you on it? Are you close to wrapping it up? Or I know we're a little I'm bit close out, to I'm close to wrapping it up. I'm kind of putting the final touches on things now and um, just uh, looking forward to meeting up with, with uh, Mr. Andrew and uh, showing him the set and everything. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Yeah, It's kind of a real personal set, though, too. I mean, even prior, like my dad had always talked about, like, oh, you know, you should do something mania, like something mania, like go crazy, you know? And I'm always like, oh, okay, I want to go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know mania can mean just obsessed it can mean you know yeah. just just completely out of your mind and so it's it, it takes on all kinds of different meanings you know but for me it's it's kind of like this kind of homage thing too and also you know my my dad had mentioned it before and i'm like okay you know it's kind of been a part of my life so i'm like you know what this this sick show will be the mania show yeah that's awesome that it that it ties back to those kind of different experiences you had you know growing up and some of the things that your father said that's that's really cool yeah thanks man thanks is there a particular piece in the show that that challenged you more than some of the others like what's what was the most difficult one for you um definitely what's been difficult for me is uh well the new the new thing space is incredible i don't know if you've seen it but it's 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 awesome i mean it's huge space and now it's even expanded so it's its own think space mania (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like its own compound yeah and it's awesome man i'm so so happy for andrew man and the gang there and uh it's fucking awesome but i'm i had to paint on a larger scale (laughs) (laughs) because i was like wow yeah you know and i wanted it to fill out right too so i mean i'm kind of known my paintings are you know typically smaller portrait size but for this show, every piece is, is a little bit larger, you know, and then the, the, the ones that, you know, were large then are just even larger now. So um, there are some of my classics, like the bullfighter that took a lot of time with the jackets, you know, and all the detailing, but really happy with how those turned out. There's, uh, there's two of them that are really, really cool. And then uh, the Dirty Land character is returning in a new form for this show. Nice. Yeah, and she's, she looks... She looks great, man. She's great. So working at the larger scale, um, did that force you to work differently just in your own process or was it pretty much the same, just bigger? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much the same, but um, it can be a little bit more difficult if you're not used to it. I'm not used to painting big, so it was, you know, it was a definitely, yeah, I had some some concerns in certain areas, you know, making the face, you know, was always important. So it was, uh, it was challenging, but, you know, you got to get through it, brother. <laughs> yeah. How many pieces do you expect you'll have um, for the set? Um, I'm hoping to have about 20. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of right now I'm just going and then, um, no looking back is kind of what I do. I just kind of keep going, man. I just push, <laughs> push. And then, uh, we'll see, you know, um, I'll see what, what, what we want to do exactly. And, um, yeah, I'm hoping to have, hoping to have that many. That would be awesome. It's exciting. That's really cool, man. So where can people find you online to stay up to date with this? And then, you know, eventually the new series that you, you're working on. Yeah, online, um, my hold is, uh, well, Instagram hold is uh, at Viveros underscore brand. And then uh, website is brianmviveros.com. Awesome. So last question, and this is something that I like to ask everybody. Who is one artist that you'd like to see me have on the show? Oh, wow. Well, we got to have my brother, Dan Quintana. Yeah, you guys are friends, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my homie, man. That's my homie. You got to have him on. Yeah, I love Dan's work. I've talked to him a little bit about being on the show in the past, and we just never had a chance to line something up, so I'd love to have him on. Yeah, he's great. We've done some collaboration pieces in the past. Yeah, so. yeah, those are awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, it's been real. This is my first podcast, so everyone out there, I'm sorry if I sounded a little bit nervous, <laughs> but... Uh, it's great, man. Michael, you're awesome. I love what you do, man. And everybody, say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and go to Mania October 29th. <laughs> Thanks, Space. All right. Thank you, man. Take care, brother. So that's it for this episode of Art Affairs. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brian. It was really interesting to hear about, you know, both sides of Brian's creative output, his 2D visual art in the form of paintings, and then his work in film, and how he treats those, you know, two creative outlets as completely separate and distinct. One, he has complete control over every aspect of its creation, his paintings. And then the other, it's more about setting up the environment and then, you know, capturing whatever comes from that. This possible new TV series that he mentioned working on sounds pretty exciting. It, it seems like it's in its very early stages, but you know, definitely keep an eye out for more information on it as it develops. His upcoming show at ThinkSpace sounds huge, as many as 20 pieces, and you know, many of them a lot larger than he usually works. It's going to be a pretty epic new series. Titled Mania, uh, obviously inspired by WrestleMania, the opening reception will be on October 29th, uh, a few weeks after this show should debut. Definitely be sure to subscribe to ThinkSpace's mailing list now so that you can get the show preview when it comes out. So thanks again to Brian for joining me today, and thank you for checking out the show. I'm truly grateful for your support. And just a reminder, one big way you can help out if you're really enjoying the show would be to check out the show's Patreon. You can find all the details on patreon.com artifairs. And as always, you can contact me through my website at artaffairspodcast.com or on Instagram at artaffairspodcast. So until next time, be good to yourself and be good to each other.